0: Hi, folks. Um, welcome to our Friday edition. And uh, normally it's a Thursday night in uh, Queensland. Today uh, it's special, 3 o'clock, because the gentleman um, who's sharing the screen with us, he traditionally works at night. And um, so I so push the envelope and made sure that we could get John into the studios, courtesy of Julia, who's organized this. So for those people that's um, watching the show, you're more than welcome to interact whatever Facebook page you see in the stream and you can make some comments here so um, if I just pass on to Julia and she can carry on and give us the insight um, as to why Tom's in this studio, giving us his life story which is a phenomenal story by the way yeah
1: yeah hello welcome everyone thanks for tuning in to dreaming the new dream I'm Julia Chai and I'm with Jeff Shaw owner of Radio FM 88 and today we have special guest John Bellam who is uh, who is, um, is a basically instructor and teacher at um, every Friday night at the Australian School of Meditation and Yoga. And he also runs his own yoga and meditation studio in Redland Bay in Brisbane. So welcome, John.
2: Thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much for um, inviting me onto the uh, station.
1: Great. So we're really excited to have you on because as a kid, I always, always, always dreamt Having grown up in Hong Kong in, you know, concrete jungle, high-rise, I've always, always dreamt of running away to the circus once I read about it, that it was possible. You didn't have to run away. You actually kind of grew up in circus slash sideshow cars, didn't you?
2: I did. Yeah, I was born into that. My um, Uncle Charlie, he had the, uh, had the circus and my, uh, my father, John. Uh, They worked together and my parents used to, um, they were entertainers and uh, they used to have Ferris wheels and Dodgem cars and merry-go-rounds and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I was born into it and I uh, lived in it uh, 24-7 up until a certain period in my time, in my youth, uh, when I was swept away to boarding school. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, I know all about it. I loved it.
1: Well, that'd be interesting. Tell us about it. I mean, I remember when I was in um, Kenya and Tanzania, I talked to the local kids there, and, um, you know, unlike kids here that wake up, have breakfast, go to school, they yeah, sort of have to get regular. up, you know, feed the cows, look for food. <laughs> what what does, a, does a kid growing up in a circus have to do? What's the sort of normal, what was the timetable for you before you went to boarding school?
2: Well, it was, um, we did have school, of course, um, and my mother was pretty strict. And by the time I went to school, I was like 18 months in front of the curriculum, which was a bit difficult because, you know, you put in classes with people older than you. But, um, you know, I can't blame her for that. But, um, you know, I had uh, such a huge extended family. I had, um, you know, I had an auntie, if you would call her an auntie, who was a half man, half woman, Julie. I had an uncle, Samson, who used to um, chew razor blades and have cars bounce on his chest. I had an uncle who had a wall of death, which for people who don't know what a wall of death is, um, it's essentially a cylinder, a big cylinder. They'd ride motorcycles around the inside of it. I'd be on the on the back of it with him. And um, I remember there was a, um, now that you mention it, Julia, uh, from Hong Kong, uh, there was a troop of acrobats that used to, twirl um, plates on sticks and, and jump all over the place. I mean, there were so many amazing people. I remember also we had um, the uh, international wrestlers toured with, with us for quite some time. And uh, they'd come to our caravan. My mother was quite a um, quite a good seamstress and she would, uh, if, if you remember, or well, you may probably not remember back, but they used to wear masks and she would be always fixing their masks and their their costumes and stuff. And the boys would teach us how to fight, and um, <laughs> a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And they were all very, very warm to me, very warm, very inviting. And they were I used to call them uncles and aunties, and uh, and I liked them very much, and they liked me. But um, it uh, wasn't to be forever. Uh, my mother had other plans for me, and I think my father had just had his arm twisted, and so. Uh, you know, she sent my brother and myself to um, boarding school when I was a bit, about eight years old, and um, it was like being sent off to prison. Really, I, I wasn't—I um, wasn't mistreated, but there was no warmth, there was no excitement, there was no no circus. There were none of those characters, and, and there are many of them, many of them, many of them. It was very straight-laced. It was very um, conservative, and the school I went to was sort of steeped in. Oh, what, you, tradition, and it was very, um, I just forgot the word actually, very straight-laced.
0: Sacred Heart, wasn't
2: it? Sacred Heart, yeah. It
0: must have like jail.
2: It was a little bit like jail, and I, I just, you know, I just couldn't relate to it. I didn't want to fit in. I thought I could only see all my, stu- all my fellow students and teachers like patrons at the circus or at the sideshow, and um, I, I didn't fit in. I didn't want to fit in, and that's the way it was. But I used to go back to the circus of course and the side shows and uh, see all my parents and things and not just my parents but all my uncles and aunties and things like that Um, but eventually uh, my father who was about the same age as I am now when I was 14 I was he was like 64 so uh, he got married kind of late to a much younger woman and he sold his interest in that business and that was a real that was a real shock to me because um, most boys growing up in that environment um, would take over their father's role at around 16 18 by the age you were 20 you know when you were 20 you take over the whole thing and they just sold it on me and um the carpet had been pulled from beneath me and i was shell-shocked and i really had to do some soul searching and I found that I just I just sort of, I don't know, I just wandered around. I remember reading a, uh, a, a section of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a great classic in the yoga, yoga text. It said, like a riven cloud. And I really related to that. You know, a riven cloud is a cloud that just meanders all over the sky. And I did that for about from 14 to 20. And... Um, I don't know how much more you want me to go into the whole circus thing. I know you're kind of uh, um, enamored with that. It was a really amazing, amazing sort of childhood. Um, You know, there were all the circus performers. There were all the sideshow guys. There were all the freaks. There were all sorts of guys there, you know. And they were all a bit shady, but they were all amazing to me.
1: <laughs> did, you, did you learn how to swallow razor blades?
2: No, I would never learned anything. My mother wouldn't have anything, me doing anything.
1: She protected you. Oh, totally. What?
2: Yes. My father, on the other hand, she, he would encourage me yes. to do things. But my mother wore the pants. <laughs> so what
1: is it, that, having grown up in circus, that you find that you can do that most normal people like us couldn't do?
2: Mm, interesting question, because I wasn't a performer in the circus. So if that's the angle of your question, but it does give you a a, a sort of insight into people's character. You get to you know you, you get to interact with a lot of people, right? And you get to sort of sell them things when you're you know you're on the other side of the counter, so to speak. Even though I wasn't a performer. We used to, you know, we used to do all the spruiking and things like that, even as children, because as a child, if you spruiked, people never seen children spruiking. Maybe you don't even know what spruiking is, but you get a loudspeaker and you talk into it and encourage people to, you know, come and buy something or come and enter into a particular admission. Um, And so, you know, we, we became a bit cocky. We became sort of salesmen very early in life and you started to see things that other children didn't see. I mean, I had a, I had a, a number of uncles who were SP bookmakers, and SP bookmaker is a starting price, a legal bookmaker. So I learned how to keep a book. I learned how to do all that sort of stuff pretty early in life. Um, we had exposure to a lot of cash, a lot of money, um, and just things that, you know, I remember I used to, you know, I used to invite some of my classmates to sell tickets at particular shows and um, they'd never seen that sort of money before. And uh, and I I was quite surprised. Uh, It was a completely different background, completely different.
1: So you're pretty street smart, huh?
2: That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you become a bit savvy in that sense, yeah. And you learn how to fight. You learn how to fight because you're an outcast. And I quite liked being an outcast. And uh, that actually set the tenor of my life. Uh, That whole circus thing, I felt like an outcast. You were treated sort of, you know, like you're a gypsy, you're a circus guy, you know what I mean? Guys would pick on you. And uh, it was fine. I was used to it, you know. And so I never really went back into mainstream society, uh, felt uncomfortable in it, couldn't find a job that really sort of, you know, called to me until I started to get into yoga and meditation. Then I found comfort zone that um, gave me a lot of relief.
1: So where did you first have where did you have your first connection with yoga? When did you first try your first did you try your first yoga class or get a video or did somebody show you some moves? What
2: yeah, yeah exactly. Well I um I completed high school right and um I promised my parents that I would go back to university and study. But um I actually just wanted to get out of that straight lace environment. And so I took off to the big smoke. And for me in Australia, the big smoke was Sydney. So I went to Sydney and I had an uncle there who, who ran a pub and he t- taught me the hotel business. And I didn't like it because there were too many drunks. And um, so I then kind of, I guess you would say, graduated to a pretty la da restaurant. And um, this restaurant was um, the leading restaurant in Sydney at the time. It was run by quite an eclectic sort of a Frenchman who was like 10 years older than the staff. All the staff were like 20, including me. Oh, no, I was about 18 or 19. And um, everybody who was anybody that came to Sydney would go to that restaurant. And it wasn't like a real straight-laced restaurant where the clientele and the guests, or the, the, sorry, the guests and the staff. There was a you know a distinct barrier. Um, Patrick Julia, who was the owner, he was um, dating a, a well-known um, actress at the time, Australian actress, and they all her get all her friends used to come, and we used to hang out with them. And it was a little bit for me like going back to the circus because there was a lot of celebrity going on there, and uh, there was a lot of money and. It was just—it was pretty exciting times, um, very exciting times—and I thought that I'd rediscovered my uh, childhood and the excitement and all of that sort of stuff um, that I experienced growing up. Um, but after a little while, probably after about two years, and it was a really a plum job. I mean, it was an amazing job. The you know, the the wage was well. I'm not. This is on public TV. I'm on, on public radio, but. I mean, the wage was, was a certain amount, but the tips were like five times that and was just huge. It was huge. It was sort of the equivalent to a, you know, a fly-in, fly-out sort of, um, you know, mining operation. And I was just a kid. I was like 18 or 19. In fact, the, 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 the staff at the restaurant had better cars than half the clients. We used to have to park them somewhere else because it just wasn't a good look, you know. But after a couple of years of that, I found that I'd started to develop some... Um, some bad habits, um, you know, they weren't really bad, but they annoyed me. They were around, um, you know, drugs and, and drinking and, and things like that. And uh, it started to impact on me physically. And I, um, I was uh, a bit concerned. I felt as though I was gliding down into some sort of, I don't know, addiction. Because I found it very, very difficult to, uh, to stop, even though I knew that I shouldn't be doing it, right? And even though I was experiencing the side effects of, um, you know, engaging in those bad behaviours. Um, so I, um, we were, the, the restaurant was very close to a really beautiful park, Centennial Park. People from Sydney will know it. Uh, it's a landmark park. It's one of the best parks in Australia. And um, this friend of mine, who, who wasn't a friend at the time, she had um, posted a... Um, an ad on, um, on a public utility, a poster, yeah, inviting people to a meditation class. And I rang her and, uh, and it, you know, it's, that's where it started from. It started from there. And I was immediately attracted. I, I wasn't, uh, you know, the quintessential sort of spiritualist, not at all. I was just a party guy. I was a young guy, you know, put it in perspective. I was young, I had my youth, I had lots of money, a beautiful girlfriend, fancy digs, the car, the house, not the car, the yeah, the car, the clothes, all that sort of stuff, right so i wasn't into spirituality. but as soon as I came across uh, this lady and her friend, who were only about a year or so older than me, I was immediately attracted, and I just started from there oh, that's
1: quite a story. Um... And then where, where did you go from there, from the rest running uh, well, involved in the restaurant? So space, I turned my
2: back on a huge pain job immediately within two weeks and started working in a a very modest job and, you know, working in a health food store and it suited me fine, you know, because I'd found, I'd found something through my meditation practices, even though it was, I was just a novice, I'd found something that, um, had given me a hold on my mind and within a very short period of time those bad habits that were plaguing my lifestyle and my mind and me in general started to dry up just like you know you experience maybe you know uh, you have a cut or some infection and it scabs over and eventually dries out and sort of sloths off so I had that experience with my bad habits I still had plenty of character flaws right to this very day, of course. Um, but I immediately um, felt the difference. And so I couldn't turn my back on that, and n- nor would anybody in their right mind. So I just, um, I just continued with it, actually. I, I got into it. It was the focus, became the focus of my life. Of course, you know, I was 20. I, I studied. I was talking to Julia beforehand. I, I went overseas. Um, I, of course, took the practices with me and uh, always sort of tried to find people of a similar mindset in the areas that I ended up going to so that I could practice with those people. And I was lucky. It had been arranged in a sense um, that, uh, you know, it's sort of a transcendental arrangement um, that that was the way it turned out. So I had plenty of association um, to, you know, fortify and support my practices. And, you know, just like all other things, all the other stuff started to happen, you know, I got married, I had children, I went into business, etc, etc. I also got heavily involved in some of the physical aspects of yoga, um, which is what people, when they hear the word yoga, they, uh, they think of yoga mats and yoga postures and stuff like that. And that's uh, one small part of the yoga system, of course, but a very important part. And I got right into that. And I, I guess I could have made a living at it, but I felt um, well. I felt one. I If you wanted to really make a living at it, you had to be a rock star. I wasn't a rock star at uh, Hatha Yoga, um, and really, I had a, a, a business. I had a business sort of background in my childhood, and so I pursued business, and I was a I had a soap factory for 15 years and uh, retail shops uh, in and around Brisbane, you know, and uh, that type of thing. Um, So I did all the normal stuff that people do. And, you know, from a regular perspective, you you just look like a normal guy and you are. I don't feel like I'm anything else. But um, I had this practice and this wisdom that I uh, started to cultivate and build upon over a very long time. And it has stood me in incredibly good stead in terms of my happiness and my fulfillment. And, uh, and I think slowly my character is starting to adjust as well.
1: (laughs) That's really interesting. So, um, I mean, there's different types of meditations. Um, You're talking about this meditation practice being quite key to helping you release or slough off the bad habits. I think quite a lot of people would be interested um, in finding out which one because you know, many people do suffer from not being able to tame their mind, you know, and ending up living in the what if scenarios, and uh, just expending a lot of energy on on that kind of um, mind chatter and mind calculation, which meditation practice specifically do you um, did you find and um, keep during all those years? I'm sure you must have experimented quite a bit as well.
2: I, I, I did a little bit, um, not too much. I'd um, these girls that I met through my first meditation class, right, introduced me to the practice of mantra meditation. And um, up to that point, I'd done I'd done some, you know, I'd done some uh, some breath work, uh, which was very good. And I still do that. You know what I mean? I still do that. But uh, key to my my practice is the practice of mantra meditation. And uh, and you were saying, um, you know, about the mind, of course, all bad habits stem from the mind. You know, there is not an action taken on the planet that doesn't first sort of evolve initially in the mind. So, you know, the bridling of the mind, the conditioning, the I should say the disciplining of the mind is something that the yoga system is essentially unparalleled in as far as I know. you know there may be other areas, other disciplines that uh, can do something similar. but as far as my experience is, it's you know it's unmatched. And um, the practice of mantra meditation is uh, it's really, it's really, you know, gaining momentum. I mean, it's more than gaining momentum. It is already a worldwide phenomenon. Of course, when I started like 50 years ago, it wasn't anything like that. You know, you're a bit a bit of a, I don't know, my dad used to say you're a bit of a crank. <laughs> and But he could see that his son was actually acting in a very responsible manner, right? a very responsible manner. I you know, my, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I was, you know, I I was, you know, I was a good boy. And he kind of appreciated that. And he liked that. And um, so the practice of mantra meditation, I mean, you can meditate on many things, as you said, there are many forms of meditation, right? But the practice of mantra meditation for me, it's, I mean, in order to answer this question comprehensively, um, it needs a little bit, a little bit of background. I mean, guests and perhaps even yourselves, um, Jeff and Julia. You, you, you supposedly see me in inverted commas, but really, what you're seeing is simply a veneer. And or let's put it this way: you know what a hand puppet is, right? A hand puppet, of course, is being animated by the fingers and the hand inside the hand puppet, right? What you're seeing this physicality right is actually just a puppet and the moving energy the animating principle within is actually the life force and of course in the yoga system there are and in English there are many different words for this right the life force the chi the prana uh, the living being the spirit soul but in the yoga system there is one word that is used that um, they use uh, it's a technical word it's called Atma. It means the Atma, self. Yeah. Right. So there is a great recognition within the yoga system, regardless of what school of yoga you come to. The first mantra that one would learn and be have, have explained to you is the mantra, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. I am this life force within. And we wear this body really like a garment. Yeah. And just like the garments we have on right this very moment, there are the outer garments, you know, And there are the undergarments, and the undergarment is the mind, right? And so both are considered um, to belong to the material energy, right? Uh, One grosser than the other, i.e. arms and legs and noses and stuff like that. And the mind is much more subtle, right? So it was explained to me in my very first class that, um, you know, I remember they used this amazing analogy that still reverberates with me it's like taking a bird you know have a bird in a cage right and let's say you don't really know much about birds right let's just let's just pretend right that we're pretty ignorant around this and you know you bring the bird home and the bird's in the cage and the cage is looking pretty cool and inside the cage there's a swing and a mirror and all the bird toys you know the the thing you run up the up to the mirror on little step ladder thing right and after a few days, the um, you notice that the bird's not looking so so good. It's not singing so sweetly as, it, you know, when you got the bird from the shop or something like that. And, um, and then a friend comes over and says, you know, have you fed the bird? Hmm. Oh, I didn't know you had to feed the bird. Are you dumb, 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 dumb? What do you mean you didn't know you had to feed the bird? I didn't know I had to feed the bird. And so the analogy is here, right? You know, we are constantly, you know, shining and polishing the cage, which is the physical body. I mean, you pick up any magazine, you read anything, you know, any magazine, especially, there are always articles on how to feed the body, exercise the body, cleanse the body, dress the body, etc., etc. And there are always articles on, you know, on what to do for your mind and various tips and tricks on how to, you know, manage your psychology. And that's fine. And it's all good, but very, very rarely, unless you really sort of dig deep, ferret out, and search for it, will you find anything on how to actually maintain the bird, meaning the atma, meaning actually me. Me. And so when I reflected on my condition when I first met my two friends, um, I was essentially a starving individual. I'd never done anything for... For the soul, for me, yes, I'd polished the cage and I'd buffed up the mind, yeah, and um, but I'd never done anything for me. And so the the mantras, right? Mantras, man means mind, tra means to draw away. Mantra is not like the sort of the mantras you hear when we have federal state elections, and those mantras are vote, 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 gimme, 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 etc., etc. So the word mantra doesn't necessarily mean just the repetition of one particular word, although that's what it's become to, you know, that's what the meaning has sort of evolved into. Um, But if you start to look into the real spiritual aspect of it, a mantra is a a transcendental sound vibration. It actually comes from another dimension, right? And um, it is spiritual in nature as the soul, the life force, the atma, is also spiritual and so it can speak to the living being can nourish the living being it can protect and nurture uh, the living being and so that's how i discovered the uh, effectiveness of it and um of course it just doesn't stop there you know so you you, you've sort of moved on from your bad habits but then you know you start to see other things that you would like to uh, to work on and so I continually work on it and of course it's a it's a, a work in progress as they say.
1: Do you think your voice has changed over time with all that sort of sound work sound healing that's happening through the mantras you bring more and more of your, I, I'm, your not, I'm not I'm
2: not sure. I I guess my body has changed.
1: Your body has changed in what yes. way?
2: Well it's attached <laughs> <laughs> it might be <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, sorry. No, but Been you said you said you,
1: were, you said you were sickly to start off with. Oh, you were well, pretty well, fit. Yeah, Look, yeah. you you what
2: like, you can do all these, these I, uh, Yeah, well, I'm substances. pretty fit because I I practice yoga. But you know, Julie, you ask an, an incredibly important question there. You know, it was pointed out to me um and I'm sure, I don't know why this knowledge didn't make the front page of the Time magazine. But um you know, 40 well, 45 years ago the scientists they started to tag um various uh atoms within the body right with um oh i don't know the technicalities of it really escaped me. i think it was radioactive isotopes right anyhow they tagged uh, you know various atom uh, various um, yeah atoms and molecules you know the stuff that makes up your body right and they wanted to see how long it actually took for the body to completely renew itself. and it turns out within a year 98 percent of all the cells in your body have changed right and within and then there's a few recalcitrant sort of uh, atoms and you know parts there that just take a long time to change right but within three years everything's changed so the import of that the meaning of that is so it's 2021 right so if you took a photo right if you had a photo on your phone of so-called you, right? The image, the uh, you know, the, the the veneer, right? Your body uh, taken in 2018 and you're looking at it today, right? Then the hand you're holding the photo uh, the, the phone with, right or the hard copy photo is not the hand that you're looking at in the photo. Because the whole body's changed. It may look very similar unless you're a kid. Of course, you know, it'd be, Fifteen and eighteen, you know, some boys, some people grow a foot and stuff like that. But it's a completely different body. It's a completely different body. Of course, the important point is, you know, that you existed three years ago, and you know, you exist this very moment. So, what is the, what is the common denominator, right? Who is the witness in this transformation? Of course, that is the living being. The Atma, the soul. And as, as far as, you know, just, just sort of going off a little bit, taking that a little bit further, because people will automatically start to say, and I'll get back to your point in a minute um, about the mind. Well, the mind is always changing. I mean, you know, I thought today I just wear a t shirt. Then I changed my mind and I put on a shirt. I hardly ever wear it, shirts. I'm a t shirt, do you know what I mean? And then I thought, oh, maybe that's too formal. So your mind is always changing, right? I mean, you could close your eyes this very second and just bring up a, you know, a, a mental image of, I guess, my body because that's what you're looking at, my face and stuff, and look at it in this, on the screen of your mind, right, and ask yourself, who is looking at that? You know, you're looking at you know, a picture of the studio in the background, this middle-aged dude in front of you, you know what I mean? And who is looking at that? and so if you don't know just allow me to introduce you to yourself right so in terms of the actual the the timbre of my voice that has changed a lot that has changed a lot right um but and i asked
1: that because over time i have learnt as you say we look at the body it's just the 2d 2d the exterior and um and, you know, I'm sure it's not, it's not just girls, but boys, you know, when you're trying to work out who you're going to partner up with.
2: <laughs> after we're a while, thinking you kind of that 24-7, are
1: <laughs> so You look a bit deeper. And, you know, at the, at the start, you kind of go through all these criteria and find out what have they done, what does that tell you about what kind of person they are. But after a while, I just learned to either, um, there was two things that I would look out for. One is if I sat next to that person, what did it feel like? And that'd be like our field and their field. Did they, did they annoy each other? Was it distance? Was it close? Was it kind of the same vibes? Was it harmonious? And the other thing I would always look at was, or pay attention to, was just the sound of their voice, just the sound of the voice. Because I found so often, you know, like Ken Cohen, Jeffrey brought him on, you know, sometimes you meet somebody and it's just their sound, their voice. It just really draws you in. It's just, it's through the voice that you often know the quality of that person, their character, their character. Yeah. Not even like, yeah, but whether you can trust them, whether they're developed, whether they know themselves and, um, and more. And that's, that's kind of why I asked.
2: Excuse me. Knowing that you come from Hong Kong, you may have heard this. You're talking about boys and girls, so to speak. I I remember when I was, (laughs) when I first went to Taiwan, um, because you know I lived there for about a year and a half. First thing I found was um, I felt very comfortable there. You know, um, the women were very conservative. And I, so I felt, yeah, you know, great, you know. And there was this one expression. And and the girls, they never just went out with guys, right? It's changed completely now. But they used to always look at men as potential, not boyfriends, but potential husbands. And I thought, wow, that's, that's different because that was a different background, right? And um, of course, uh, generally speaking, I was exempted from this, but generally <laughs> speaking, and they would always have, uh, as in, in India and in many, you know, traditional cultures, uh, they would always have, you know, a, a palmist or an astrologer to, you know, chart out the, uh, the, 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 what's the word, whether they could suit each other, right? But... The power of sound, and I know both of you are very interested in this, is, um, is not to be underestimated. And this talk, so I'm talking to not only the, uh, the power of so-called material sounds, sounds from this world, but also um, spiritual sounds, uh, mantra. I remember a, um, an experiment that was done quite some time ago, and it has been repeated on many occasions, right? Uh, the scientists, they had two plants, right? They were of identical species, identical um, levels of maturity, I guess. Yeah, the same size, right? Same species, same size, right? And they were taken to a uh, laboratory where the conditions were controlled. And, you know, plant A, it went off to the left. And uh, it was given a certain amount of water, certain amount of sunshine, a uh, certain amount of nutrients. Plant B was given exactly the same amount of sunshine, nutrient, um, and water. The only difference was plant A, right, was exposed to, you know, classical music, Brahms, lullabies, Chopin, and all of this sort of stuff, right? And the other plant was exposed to sort of heavy metal, you know? I don't know if you know what heavy metal is, but it's sort of like,
1: it's pretty hard to put up
2: with. (laughs) Um, I don't mind it for about a minute, but after that, it's just not my cup of tea. And and then they fast forwarded about three months, right? And um, and they you know they bought out the plants. And of course, I think you know where I'm going with this. But you know, plant A was in the pink of its health. It was sort of standing to attention, just like your lawn, you know, after three days of solid rain. It was just looking, you know, so luxuriant and so healthy and just bright and just looked amazing right and of course the other plant well not of course but for me it wasn't surprising the other plant kind of looked like heavy metal musicians like they just had a hard night they were alive they were kicking you know it just had it had water and sunshine and all the stuff but kind of looked like oh man (laughs) give me a break i need some rest so you know the power of sound is very important and you can pick up a lot about an individual from the sound of their voice. Keith Richards. Yeah. Keith Richards. There you go. All those boys, all those boys. Yeah, totally. Totally. So sound is powerful. Um, the spiritual sounds are even more powerful and they're a little bit beyond our ability to even conceive of the potency of them, but they have a, an intrinsic power in the mantras and it's sort of like um, you know some people they go to a doctor they have an ailment right and the doctor says well you take a drug you take the drug and it 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 does its magic right and some people are very interested in how it does it etc etc they look into the you know the physiology of it etc etc the science of it right but it still works and it's the same with uh, with mantra right, meditation, mantra meditation, you don't really have to understand it, how it works or anything like that, but you need to be able to put these two orifices in the vicinity of it, and it will work.
1: All right, so that's our cue, and you are listening to Radio FM 88, and Jeff dedicates himself to playing beautiful sounds that uplift. So we will play one of John's mantras a short clip of John singing a mantra so that you can hear what it sounds like.
0: This is John's version of Roger Ramjet. Roger Ramjet. Can you hear that?
1: Anna Murari Ariba Madana
2: we all came from that era mm. Jeff let me just uh, very um, kindly sort of just correct you on that a little bit I played the synthesizer in that my friend, one of the other guys was, was actually providing the vocals there. Good. Um, that's why we have the music that we have
0: uh, it comes from all over the world basically to um, bring people together as opposed to Machiavelli lifestyles of divide and rule, music brings people together, and it's um, it's quite a combination when you start getting those ethereal sounds of the synthesizer coming in. You know, I'm just trying to think of the guy. well those years ago in the 70s he used to. Oh, I nearly had it. Not look, Gordon Lightfoot. Um, it'll come to me. It was quite really out there at the time
2: it's true what you say in terms of music, bringing people together. Um, very true. I mean, I don't know if that was a cue for me to ask to to continue speaking. I've already spoken a lot, please. I, I'm not experienced in radio interviewing, but, um, you know, um, we're all really, when it gets down to it, once you get past the veneer, we're all the same. And so the, um, you know, the yoga perspective, uh, really is a solution to things like, um, you know, race relations because the yogis, they don't just see the physicality. They observe it. They, you know, they know that somebody's in a black body, a brown body, a white body, a young body, a male body, a female body or whatever body, but they know that the animating principle, the spirit soul is all the same. And, um, I found that, uh, you know, I uh, associate with a lot of people that I don't think I really would be associating with it unless it was for, uh, for for my mantra meditation practices. A lot of people of different, you know, Julia was asking me for it before I, I play in a band, and all these guys who play in the band are kind of very young, and and um, and I'm you know basically the, the age of their fathers, you know, but we don't feel we don't feel any different because you know we play this music and it's. Um, it's kind of ageless and uh, it has a unifying sort of principle, and it unifies us with the with the, the audience as well
1: and that's what I felt when i um i, I first saw John playing at the a s m y in West End uh, in the evening, and uh, the audience was so diverse I loved it and you know I grew up with um, in Hong Kong had a lot of Indian friends, so I was just delighted to see. You know Indian grannies and in, in the um, audience um, and um, kids and um, people who are disabled and young dudes in black t-shirts yeah that's <laughs> so right. it wasn't like everybody's was turning up with their hair shaved or <laughs> yeah. in orange robes you know which is normally when somebody says come along to <laughs> right. sing Hare Krishna that's normally what you expect but um, I think the ASMY was you know it was air-conditioned <laughs>
2: very comfortable <laughs> so, surroundings very
1: comfortable surroundings yeah, i remember the <laughs> night actually i remember
2: there was a young fella there with down syndromes
1: um yeah, yeah everybody and everybody it. just got up and danced know it's just it's what our heart yearns for isn't it and uh, i think the music and your intent the pureness of the intent of those who sing it and leave it and those who come um they all come together um just to be together and um let go of the mind and to, to connect to spirit. That's kind of the, and to, and to be free to be, you know, to dance and sing and chant.
2: That's exactly Something it. that's
1: common to everybody.
2: Very common to everybody. It, it doesn't matter whether you're a, you know, you're a hipster in the, in the heart of Sydney or you're, you know, you live in a jungle in the back of Panama somewhere, you know. Everybody has, and these tendencies for community, Right, and you said the words exactly. You know, it, uh, it it was a yearning of the heart, and everybody has the same yearning. We all yearn, you know, for, for love, want to be loved, to be loved. We have a yearning for, you know, for shelter, friendship, etc. etc. And all of this is stemming from the soul, from the utmost. It doesn't come from your mind, it doesn't come from your body. Right, the mind and the body do have their own. They have their own dictates right but all of these you know this all of this important stuff in life is coming from the heart right And mm-hmm. i don't mean the left ventricle i mean the heart of your hearts right the living the living being mm-hmm. and so you know the mantra experience particularly kirtan kirtan for the for the audience right M- mantra meditation can be practiced on beads right like mala beads and buddhists and, and many pretty much all spiritual spiritualists over you know since time began really have used beads right that's a personal practice but uh, kirtan which is this uh, phenomena that's sweeping throughout the world right is practice it's a group mantra meditation practice uh, done to music of all sorts it can be all sorts of music you know it can be very meditative music or it can be Kind of raucous dance sort of music and uh, done with electric guitars etc and it speaks to the heart of everybody that is there and it does it is a mind releasing sort of experience because um, you know when you're in the depths of mantra meditation um, you you know your mind is not exerting so much control and your body well it's not exerting so much control either
1: you pop out of that cage for a bit
2: exactly yes, yes it's very true yeah. yeah
1: but we're encouraging people to pop out of the cage and tr- try the Kuratan, which i mean i actually was lucky i um, got introduced to it in um, Indonesian in bali when i was at a yoga parcelized retreat and they they did it on friday evenings just like you do and it was just such a wonderful way to come together once a week and um, connect yes um, yeah but then you know when i came back here it was um, I don't think we chanted Sanskrit that then um, I think basically what the what will stop what could stop people is the fear of you know the fact that you're singing words that you don't really know what they mean and um, in, or that you have associations with and you know for me it was it's fine because uh, I had a friend who tra- translated what the Sanskrit meant so I knew that the intent of what I was singing was not dangerous or you know was not sort of was, yes. you know a good frequency and vibration yes and um some of it was quite funny because haribo is like my favorite jelly bears <laughs> so, oh yeah <laughs>
2: that's right <laughs> and yeah.
1: then of course as a tai chi qigong teacher we often actually do teach with sound so you know you know you go ha and r and k they will actually activate different parts of your body. So we mm. play with the sound and we use the sound to teach our students which part to activate because, you know, to saying you know, sit in your pineal gland, nobody has a clue where it is, but everybody can make sounds. Mm. So I was just wondering, leading up to that, to you, John, and, you know, you, you sing it, you lead it sort of how, how do you explain to people why you're singing words like Hare Krishna or Haribo, Ro- Haribo,
2: Haribo, yeah. Hare well, Bo. Firstly, um, none of this is concocted. Um, I uh, am fortunate enough to have a teacher, right, who also has a teacher, who also had a teacher. In fact, it's a lineage that goes back to the times of Lord Brahma, which is incredibly ancient times, right? And these mantras, which are essentially sound vibrations uh, that represent that supreme higher force represent uh, that force even in this planet right in this room if we were to chant and and julia just did right Uh, these sounds have been handed down very very carefully through these lineages known technically as the parampara right and they all have different meanings right um but you know often People don't ask about the meanings, right? But they are all sound representations of that supreme power, right? And it's just, how do I say it? I don't know, Julia, what, I'm sure you have a number of different names. You know, I don't know what your marital status is, but, you know, your friends will call you something, right? Jeff will call you something else. You know, your, your enemies will call you something else as well. Everybody has different names, right? I myself have tons of different names as well, right? It depends on the relationship that you have with the person, right? How intimate it is, how distant it is, right? But there is no need to fear any of these names, right? They're, they're all good, all purifying, right? And they bring about such a transformation of a person's life, right? And some people say, some people are very inquisitive and they want to know what a particular sound means, right? Like, for example, you said Hari Bol, right? The word Bol means to to repeat, to chant. Hari means um, it is a name of the Supreme, right? That means he who relieves the person who chants that name from all of their, their problems, right? But, you know, I can explain the names like, sort of like a dictionary, not, not quite as accurately as a dictionary. But the most important thing is to actually experience it. Like I think I might have mentioned to you on that particular night, um, the example, um, you know, if you'd never, you were an alien, right? Or you just never, never tasted an orange before or never even seen an orange, right? And uh, you'd read about it and and you knew that me, right? Uh, that i tasted it and you know i had one in my hands and then asked me to explain it right so i would go as 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 well as i could i'd say well it's a you know it's a ball it's you know, spherical it's orange it's got skin sort of like your skin with you know little pores in it etc etc if you squeeze it sort of gas comes out of it it kind of stings your eyes a bit okay cool radio um and uh and then you cut it right and you cut it and it's very juicy, very watery. And, you know, the water has a particular sort of um, sweet, sour sort of taste to it. Um, You can get quite technical, you could say it's got an abscorbic acid and all this, and you could give quite a detailed analysis explanation. But still, that person is not much better off, because they haven't tasted it. It's like trying to explain, mixing up my metaphors here, you know, what love is, if you've never experienced it. You know, fortunately, we've all experienced love, especially from our mothers, right? So the mantra and yoga in general uh, is a very experiential pathway. It, Unlike, um, you know, say mainstream religiosity, um, not that I have anything against mainstream religiosity, but they tend to be kind of have a bit of a dogma. You know, here is a set of beliefs, right? You learn those, you take those on board, and you, know, you, you go through all the, the different rituals, and, um, and then there's a payoff. Yeah? And the payoff is whatever, you can go to heaven, something like that. Right? Um, but you can't question the dogma, right? Because, well, it's frowned upon, and, and in most cases, they can't really answer it, right? And this is one of the problems. With mainstream religiosity, and so people who are a little bit more free thinking, they uh, they turn turn to and pivot to other other areas of spirituality, right? And I've sort of forgotten really what my what my uh, where I was coming from. Harry Bowl, Harry uh, uh, Yeah. So you know the 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 names they Harry. have they have this um, they have this intrinsic power, right? And um, and, and you experience it. You experience, and I think you experienced it on the night from, you know, your description. You feel a sense of freedom. You feel, you can't even really describe it, you know. You just, I experienced it as that boy, I got free from my mind, right? I got free from the dictates of the mind. Why? Because the bird inside the cage all of a sudden became very strong. And it's sort of like, okay. And then the mind—it's there. It's tugging you. Do this. Do that. Do that. And you can just—you just flick it. It's like I'm strong now. I feel nourished. I'm not strong in that I'm arrogant. I know where my strength is coming from, right? And in order to receive that strength, one needs to have a good dose of humility, right? To to continue with it, right? To keep it around, so to speak, right? But you know, it, it just emboldened me, the living being right? And I I started to feel confident, and I started to feel, you know, I started to feel full, right? And satisfied. And and that's how I, that's how I experienced it. And then after that, then I started to, to look into, you know, okay, so that's how it works. That's the the effect of it. Why does it have that effect? And so I looked into the philosophy, Mm -hmm. because I'm a bit inquisitive. But, you know, children experience kirtan, right? And, And love it. And you know, they can't, they can't be expected to understand the philosophy. I mean, it's quite deep and voluminous. You know, there are a lot of books written on the whole thing. But I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, this is one, it is an experiential pathway, but also there is a huge philosophy underlying the whole pathway and a, 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 a very well-recognized and traceable lineage so it is as i said at the beginning of this seg- segment so to speak it is not of my imagination uh, it is not concocted it is not man-made um, the uh, the information that is being passed down and these mantras that is being been passed down with them is part of a a huge body of knowledge known as the vedas and the vedas um, uh, they address all sorts of uh, information you know from uh, politics and medicine um through to warfare and of course we're interested in the uh, the yoga and uh, and the meditation side of things right and of course they were passed down from, with with lord brahma through this disciples succession and it was distributed all throughout the planet and you know various cultures including the chinese culture um you know they take it right they take it and they turn it into their own thing so you know like in india they have ayurvedic medicine right traditional chinese uh, traditional Indian medicine, and of course they have the same thing in in China, but it's a little bit different, it suits their environment, so, you know, the the whole um, information, it sort of morphs depending on the time, the place, and the circumstances, right, but the intrinsic um, message in information and wisdom is exactly the same.
1: Thank you, John. So that's um, if uh, dear listeners, if you want to have that experiential experience um, of kirtan, head down to the Australian School of Meditation and Yoga in West End on a Friday night, and you will be able to chant with John, who is actually also a teacher in Redland Yoga Studio and at the ASMY. But there you're known as Jaya Dharma, right? So you want yes, Jaya Dharma. Jaya Dharma. That's
2: my yoga name teacher gave me.
1: so what what does oh he gave it to you wasn't you didn't pick it yourself because that was going to be my question <laughs> what made you no pick none that? of this is
2: <laughs> sort of none of it when not any of us are self-appointed um the word dharma is uh, is used a lot in yoga uh it it has many many meanings um, but just quickly we sort of you want to round up the the interview right the dharma dharma means righteousness or justice in india Actually, the word Jayadharma dharma is the, the motto, the logo, the motto, yeah, the motto of the Indian justice system. Jaya means um, victory. And uh, so Jayadharma dharma can mean, right, where there is justice, there is victory. Right. But there are other meanings as well. But no, I didn't take it myself. <laughs> I didn't take it on myself.
0: Hey, uh, Rick Whitton was the guy I was thinking of. What's um, his name, man? Rick Wakeman, Journey, oh, ah, the "Center yes. of the Earth," right. And talking about music and how it inspires your soul, it also comes back to the intent. And Dr. Tomato, Dr. Tomato, with his um, thoughts and aspirations to do with the water, showed you the how the power of intent can affect those around you. So, and I know that in in Wales there, in the valleys there, that all have a big sing song and, and get going, and the Irish do the same generally speaking that type of gathering of of singing is restricted to the christians doing it at uh, christmas time so you know if unless you wanted to join a choir um singing which is a really powerful way of filling your body with oxygen which then imbues your red cells and oxygenates your body your concept of actually doing what you do is, is a phenomenal way of taking friday out to get that. Whole essence and presence, where people have come with an intent, and it's a correct intent because they, they're trying to mm. go within themselves to get to that soul source, and then uh, open their mouth and start to to hum, to speak, to tone, whatever. And and there's a sense of presence that comes with it. I've also listened to your beginning of your life story and that transformation from circuses where you saw individuals who were treated like untouchables in Indian culture, to the gypsy concept of the uh, Romanian Romies, to coming into the pub scene and seeing another side of humanity. So I think in such a short space of time, your soul took you on a journey to show you, um, there's a couple of sides to a coin. So you've seen one face of that coin, and then you've made your progression to where you are today. And then all of a sudden you flip that coin on the side and then you see the truth and you become a more rounded individual to be able to have that wisdom, knowledge and understanding, to be able to communicate to a wide range of people of all ages. And to that to me is um, a great journey that you've um, undertaken,
2: John. Thank you, Jeff. Yes. Um, and just to address the first uh, part of your, um, your, 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 your sentences there, um, the, uh, the coming together of people singing just even if it's kind of not doesn't really even have a sort of a, a a great spiritual lineage there even that is incredibly powerful again it speaks to the power of sound just regular sound vibration it's very very powerful and choirs and things like that they just give me the tingle big time big big time and um i've found that uh you know I've seen people, you know, essentially, I have a good friend. I'm not going to mention his name, but, uh, you know, uh, about five, six years ago, he was living on the streets, right? He had uh, addiction problems and, you know, the same sort of problems that people have uh, who live on the streets. And he came, started to come to Kirtan. He uh, was a talented musician before he was, um, you know, afflicted with uh, these, these various problems that he had. And he came along and he just stuck at it regardless of all of the issues he had going on with his body and his mind and you know i have seen such a great change physically mentally and of course it's all stemming it's all stemming from the soul Right. so you nourish the soul and then of course the body and the mind they sort of fall into line and because you know you get harmony when the when the soul is nourished and protected and sheltered you, you feel secure. And then of course, everything calms down. And uh, I remember um, a little earlier, Julia was talking about the pineal gland, right? Pituitary gland. And of course she knows as well as I do that that is the gland that actually, you know, sets the tenor of your whole um, hormonal system, right? And, you know, all of these sound vibrations all of these sound vibrations they work on different levels spiritual mental physical and um you know just so amazing
0: okay
1: yeah well thank you very much for sharing your you know how, the story of how you just how you came to kirtan and meditation and yoga and um you know the background and uh your you know, deep passion for it. John, thank you very much for joining us on the show today.
2: Thank you for welcoming. me. Thank you very much, Jeff, and thank you to the listeners.
1: Yeah, and if people want to con- connect with you, they can connect with you on the Facebook looking for a Redland Yoga Meditation.
2: Redland Yoga and Meditation. Redland
1: Yoga and Meditation.
2: Yeah, sure. Yep, yep.
1: So thank you very much for watching, dear listeners. Thank you, Elizabeth, as well, and anybody else who's listening. And, um, you know, be in touch. We'll be back next Thursday in our normal slot at 7 p.m. Have a beautiful weekend, everyone. Yeah, who have you got? We I think we've got Selena Poiser, who's a reflexologist and a medium.
0: Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, I've met that woman. Yeah. She was at a Christmas uh, get together and she gave a phenomenal talk about um, reflexology. And naturally I went straight to the feet, but she went from the feet, she went up to the um, the skull. She, you don't realise just how many points are in uh, on your skull, but also in your ear and um, she was inspirational, she's from England too by the way, she lives down the Gold Coast. That's next Thursday, yeah, and John, has been a pleasure, Um, fantastic. Thanks very much, Jeff. Very good to have you on board. Um, What's her name? Julie wanted me to play something just before we go.